I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. We're down to the numbers game, folks. Don't worry. I'm sure we'll still have the name-calling, threats, promises, rallies, commercials, and more. I didn't say the campaign is over, but all focus now turns to a single number, 270. What's the best path for both candidates to get there, and what's it like inside the campaign in final days? Few would know better than Neil Newhouse because he's been there. Neil was lead pollster four years ago for Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential campaign. He is partner and co-founder of Public Opinion Strategies, which the New York Times once described as the country's leading Republican polling company. Neil himself is three-time winner of Pollster of the Year by the American Association of Political Consultants. He has seen and done a lot. And yet, as you might imagine, he's never seen anything like this campaign. I know it's naive, but I keep getting amazed at how many political professionals I talk with who've been doing this for years, dozens of campaigns, and so many presidential elections, and yet to a person, they haven't seen anything like this one. Neil didn't hold back. He outlines the path to 270 for each candidate. Which states must they win? Which ones should we watch on Tuesday? But he also calls this the nose-holder election. Trump and Clinton have some of the highest unfavorable ratings of any candidates in history. We know that. Among his really interesting points, most of the time you want your candidate in the news. You want headlines. This go-round, the only time Trump or Clinton seems to get attention, is when something negative happens, from emails to access Hollywood tapes. In this campaign, no news really might be good news. The other thing Neil says we should watch for? Enthusiasm. Turnout will be key in a vote where supporters aren't so much enthusiastic for their candidate as they are disgusted with the other. We also talked about what's next. No matter who wins, what will the political, social, and economic divides in our country look like? There's no sugarcoating. While Neil sees a way out, he shares the view of so many others that we likely have dark days ahead, for the Republican and Democratic parties, and even for the country. I'll tell you what I did like. Neil has given much, maybe all, of his professional life to politics and governing. This guy cares, and that comes through loud and clear in his ideas and his tone. Whichever side you're on, I think you'll appreciate his concern, and I think you'll really like this conversation. But before we begin, some questions. Who will win the White House? What about the House and Senate? People who want to stay ahead of the curve turn to the Cook Political Report, and with good reason. For 30 years, the report has nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News' Bob Schieffer called it the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver noted, Few political analysts have a longer track record of success than the tight-knit team that runs the Cook Political Report. Little wonder the New York Times called it, quote, a newsletter that both parties regard as authoritative. People who make it their business to know politics make it their business to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Just go to cookpolitical.com slash political wire. That's cookpolitical.com slash political wire. And now, here's my conversation with Neil Newhouse. I assume that at this point you're just a bit more relaxed than you were four years ago. I, I mean, I know you're just as interested in as, as any of us in the outcome, but I imagine the stress is just a bit different when you're the lead pollster for the Republican presidential candidate. Yeah, it's, it's, this is a uh, it's certainly not stress free, but um, 
my schedule today is a lot more open than it was four years ago right now. Yeah, I mean, on, on some level, you get to enjoy the game. I mean, you know, you, you obviously, you know, you have a rooting interest, but uh, you, get to, you get to enjoy it maybe a little bit more than, uh, than four years ago. Yeah, this is, um, it's a different feel to it. And um, four years ago, first of all, the, the Romney campaign, single best professional experience I've ever been through. I mean, I, I moved from Alexandria, Virginia to Boston for over a year, lived in the campaign. I literally spent, God, I think it was like six nights in, in at home in Alexandria from the time I moved up there to the time I, I left and, um, it, and just made an incredible number of friends. Relationships were unbelievable and, uh, and, you know, myths terrific. So I, it was a wonderful experience. I, I, thoroughly enjoyed it except for those last kind of 24 hours yeah I, I i assume that you did and and i'm sure looking back on it even even those last 24 i mean obviously from for you uh for for mitt romney disappointing outcome but uh no once uh once in a lifetime experience it it also uh kind of makes you for me um you know almost the perfect person to talk to i mean you've you've done the equivalent of of pitching in a world series Game seven. So, talk to me about the pollsters right now um, in both the Trump and the Clinton teams. Um, is it just a math problem? Is that are they just focused on two seventy right now? What what are they looking at? Yeah, I mean, they're right now. They're trying to figure out where. I mean, at this point in time, it's a Friday before the election. You don't have um, you don't have a ton of options. You don't have a ton of resources to reallocate to in other words to throw one place over another what you have basically is you've got volunteers you've got money you've got phone calls um you can't really do much with advertising right now except for online probably um and you've got the candidates time and the surrogates time so you're trying to figure out where the, where the best place is to what media markets do i want to send my candidate to over the next 72 hours to hopefully have the most impact and to get out the vote this is it's now a we passed, I think, the, the, you know, the, the time when people were going to be persuaded to vote for one candidate or another. We're now in kind of the stimulation period, which is um, how do I get my people out to vote? How do I, you know, I, these people are for me. How do, I, how do I motivate them? And that's a, um, that's a huge challenge, especially for the Hillary Clinton campaign. She's been on, she's kind of lost her momentum. Um, the... I think the the Comey investigation, the reannouncement, or whatever whatever it was last week, has put that campaign on the brakes. I don't think voters are moving toward her, and I think they're they're going to have a challenge in that campaign getting people out to vote. So right now, you're trying to figure out where can I where are the key media markets and the key states that I can you know send these candidates to so that they can hopefully uh, you know turn out voters for my campaign. So I want to ask you about, you know, what the path is for you from your point of view for each one of them. But but on the point that you were just making, because that, that's something I, I you know wanted to ask you about as well. So on the one hand, if we are past the point of persuasion, past the point on on issues. And by the way, we can talk for hours about what defines issues in today's world. I think we both remember, you know, the quaint old days when issues meant things like housing or education or, or foreign policy. And, and, you know, obviously issues mean a, something a whole lot different in, in this campaign. But if on the one hand, so you've got the emails, you've got the Comey things, you, events and, and, you know, the, the letter that he sent. You've got, uh, you know, continuing talk about allegations from women on, on the Trump side and, 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 and his treatment of women. 
And so on the one hand, you're saying we're past the point of persuasion, which I kind of interpret as, well, those things don't matter now. We, you know, people have decided, and yet you're, you feel that the key is how do you inspire? How do you get people actually out of their homes and to the polling places? And are you feeling like, like some of these issues that are coming out right now or some of these, these statements or, or concerns that are coming out right now, that can get in the way of actually getting people to the polling place? Yeah, I mean, I think the um, – keep in mind, you have the two least popular presidential candidates um, in the history of the country since since polling began, which, not, which is well, a relatively short period of time. But th- this is a nose-holder election. This is an election where voters really don't – you know, they're not – they're not in love, really, most of them, with either one of these two candidates. And so you're looking at a potentially lower turnout election, um, one in which voters are are holding their nose and voting for a candidate. I mean, here's, let me give you an example. Most recent NBC News Wall Street Journal poll, which was done about 10 days ago, um, there were about 13 to 15 percent of voters who were either undecided or were voting for Gary Johnson or Jill Stein. I went back and I kind of recalculated the, the image numbers for Hillary and for Donald Trump among those voters, those kind of tippable voters, those up-for-grabs voters. But the numbers are very similar for both candidates. I think it was uh, Hillary had a 7% positive and a 73% negative, and Trump was sitting at 7% positive and 79% negative. So it's they don't want to vote for either, either one of these candidates. So that's I mean that's the challenge is right now. The issue is getting by the I mean, the only issues in this campaign are are, are the temperament, the personality, the honesty uh, of these two candidates. And not voters aren't deciding based on their foreign policy or economic plans. Those days have gone. They're deciding on on you know who they dislike least uh, to be president. And what are your numbers showing on that right now, or where do you think the trends are going on that right now? I mean, they, I think they, this is, this race is, Chris. This race is narrowing. This race is narrowing like like, um, like no, I mean, nobody. Listen, the last ten days has been a really rough time for Hillary Clinton, between the Obamacare premium numbers coming out, between the the Clinton Inc. kind of in, that the foundation, all that stuff came out, and then. The you know the reopening or the the Comey letter of investigation, her momentum stopped. It it stopped like she hit a brick wall, and the momentum is all on the side of of Donald Trump right now, and you're you're seeing that in a lot of the, the more recent numbers to come out. It, it's almost as if the debates. Remember the debates? Debates were like four months ago, weren't they? Uh, they they <laughs> had to have been longer, maybe. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Um, so you're looking now at at. Donald Trump making progress in states like New Hampshire and states like New Mexico, um, Colorado to some extent, Nevada, Michigan. Uh, he has, in the last, since the, the Comey investigation letter, the, the landscape, the political uh, you know, uh, playbook here has expanded. And so this is this, and Hillary's on the defensive. Look at look at how they're they're spending. You can tell what a campaign's thinking very late like this by where they spend their resources, where they send their people, and um, and where they're sending their candidates. And I mean, oh, Hillary's I think going to Ohio with uh, Jay Z, the rapper, to get out uh, African American vote. It gives you an idea of of what they're worried about and 
you know what their focus is. They're going they're going to Philadelphia. They're going to I think to Detroit. Um, this this race is very much in play in a way that nobody nobody really thought. Well, maybe you know Kellyanne did, but nobody really thought it'd be in play uh, twelve days ago. Twelve days ago it was about a six to seven point margin in the, in the presidential race, and it looked like a. Uh, um, a sweep or a wave. And now it looks like anything but that. So I, I do want to ask you about some of the specific states. I want to ask you about Ohio and, and Nevada. And, and I think, you, you know, you've seen in Nevada um, some folks, John Ralston among them, uh, indicating that, that it looks like Hillary has that state. So let's talk about that in a second. But, but just to, to kind of challenge uh, just a little bit on the tightening point, and, and to be fair, I mean, four years ago at this point, at this time, we were also being told that the race was tightening we were, and, and that Romney was, was coming close. And in all of those conference calls, a lot of those conference calls on the Romney side uh, and what was getting out to the media, um, you know, this, this race is tightening. It's very, very tight. And it, kind of, and, it, and it wasn't in the end. Why, you know, do you believe the numbers this time? Why, you know, why do you think this time it is tightening? You know, is that believable? Well, if you go back to the, um, the numbers from 2000, let me pull these up, the numbers from 2012, the first thing you have to keep in mind is um, a lot of the national numbers did indicate tightening, but not, but, but, by this point in time, uh, like five days out in 2012, we've been through Hurricane Sandy. Hurricane Sandy stopped whatever momentum um, Mitt Romney had. It just it stopped us, just like the Comey investigation is, is stopping Hillary. Hurricane this Comey. Not, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I, or torn. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I. So, the, so the, it stopped whatever momentum we had. Our third debate wasn't wasn't its strongest, and so we we were kind of. We were doing okay, but we were limping a little bit, and then a hurricane hit, and it put the focus of getting back on on uh, Barack Obama. I think that had an impact. Would we have won the race without Hurricane Sandy? No, that wouldn't have happened. We would have done better, won maybe a couple other states, maybe win Florida, maybe win Ohio, but it it, it really slowed down whatever mo- mo- momentum we had. Right now, you're seeing the national numbers and all the other numbers beginning to converge and beginning to narrow as you're getting closer to the election as the focus is on Hillary Clinton. In this, in this year's election, whenever the focus has been on Hillary, she has lost support. Whenever the focus has been on Donald Trump, he's lost support. Donald Trump has managed to um, discipline himself over the last you know, week or so, 10 days or so, so he's no longer, he's not been the news. She's been the news. And that's hurt her campaign. This has a very different feel to it um, going into the last few days of the, of the campaign. Four years ago, we asked the question, has what you've seen, read, or heard regarding Mitt Romney, regarding Barack Obama, uh, or their campaign for president, given you a more favorable or less favorable impression of them? It is what we call the campaign information flow question. Um, it is the leading indicator of ballot change. And what we saw... Ten, you know, two weeks out was Mitt had an advantage on that, but then when the hurricane came, uh, you know, struck, the numbers began to change slowly. So that by the end of the hurricane recovery period of time, our numbers were inverted and Barack Obama's numbers were positive. That's a leading indicator of the ballot. What you're seeing right now, in I think if we were to do polling right now, you'd see Hillary's numbers being more inverted on that question than, than Donald Trump's. He clearly has more momentum going into this. 
You know, it's a it's, it's a fascinating me. point that you're making. That that I mean, historically and in any campaign, you really would think what I what I've got to do is get my candidate's name in front of the voters. I need to be in the news. If I'm not in the news, then then my opponent is winning. And you're kind of almost saying the opposite, that, that in this campaign, and maybe it's because of what, going back to what you had said earlier, because of the, the, the you know, incredible um, unfavorables for each of these candidates, you, you don't want to be in the news, it seems. You don't, I mean, what, you, you don't want the focus. Have, we, you know, have you ever seen a campaign um, like that? Um. Or am I oversimplifying? Am I oversimplifying well, well, the point? But, but pre- well, presidentials are just different. Presidentials are just, I mean, you're, I mean, everybody knows, I mean, what's remarkable about this campaign is that this campaign has overshadowed everything else going on in the country in terms of, of politics. We've done our focus groups and we ask voters, you know, what they're, you know, are they following the presidential? And, and they can tell you what, you know, what Trump said yesterday or what Hillary, they, they can read, they can recite chapter and verse of what's going on in the campaign. And then we ask about the Senate race in their state, and it's like blank stares. <laughs> it's just like this, this camp, the presidential campaign has, has, has overwhelmed everything else, overwhelmed, you know, people's, you know, sensibilities on, on, uh, on politics and campaigns, so they're really not paying attention to, to other races. But this is a, this is a race when you have two candidates who are just so unpopular. Um, when the focus turns to you, it's 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 a glare. It's not a uh, it's not a spotlight, and it's uh, so it's it's not a positive for these candidates. And voters know these candidates well, and when the focus is on one of them, it's usually it's just it's not a positive for that candidate. Okay, so and I do I want to talk to you because I you know I and I'm not alone on this um, you know am a bit concerned to say the least about um, what this means going forward and and the amount of disgust and and the the unfavorable you know on each side and and the the sentiment and the anger and and the extreme focus that you just said so I I, I want to ask you about that before I get to that take me through for each candidate what's the path to two seventy what are the states that you are looking at and particularly as you know numbers start to come in on tuesday if you know what, what are the states that you will really be watching and if they end up in one column or the other um you'll you'll have a pretty good sense of uh, where the evening's going to go well i think potentially it's a late night just i'll just put that out there um we could be here for a while i think i'm looking again at florida it's a that becomes a must-win state for both candidates that's potential to be very tight. I look at Florida, I look at North Carolina, and Michigan. Uh, it's, it's, I think Michigan is closing. I think that's going to be a, a very competitive race there. I mean, those are the, the, the first three. That's, those are more kind of East Coast, um, kind of Eastern time zone races, but those are the ones I look at. Toward, uh, toward the middle of the country, I'd be paying attention to New Mexico, that's a state I think the the Trump people believe they can win. And I'd look at also Nevada. So I mean, those are the kinds of those that's what I'm looking at. But and I'm and in some of those states you're looking at, you know, white voter turnout. I mean the other thing yeah, the other thing I'm I'm looking at is not just which states they win. What's the African American turnout compared to what it was four years ago? Hillary Clinton is not Barack Obama in terms of the, her appeal to African-American voters, she, w- she would win among African-Americans by as much as he probably would, you know, won four years ago, but there's not the enthusiasm, there's not the energy behind that vote. Um, 
making it more difficult for her. One of the lessons I learned four years ago, because I kept, I would look at the, the how interested are you in the campaign on a one to ten scale. I always, I'd look at that question, and I'm truthfully I misinterpreted interest and excitement for vote. And what I realized after the election, unfortunately, was an unenthusiastic vote counts counts just as much as an enthusiastic vote. In other words, you don't get a you know you don't get extra weight, you don't get extra votes for somebody who feels really strongly and votes for your guy versus somebody who you know, who didn't really give a damn and, and votes for the other person. It, they count just the same. So what the Hillary Clinton people are trying to do in the early vote, and, um, in, all, in many of these states, they're trying to vote their, um, their low-interest voters early so they don't have to worry about turning them out on Election Day. And that early vote counts just as much as that enthusiastic Trump voter who goes to the polls on Election Day. But what we're seeing is they're having a difficult time doing that. What are you seeing from the early voting? You know, are you, what's that turnout looking like? Um, who is that favoring? Well, I'm looking mostly at, at Ohio because that's the state I'm, I'm probably of all the states that are, that are kind of on the bubble. That's the state I'd, I'd probably do the most work in. And what we're seeing there is lower lower um, Democratic turnout in um, in Franklin County. And in Cuyahoga County, again, Franklin County, Cuyahoga County, Franklin County is Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio is like, that's dead center in Ohio and, and the most, in the most, uh, the most swing, uh, market in the state, in this, in this kind of the swingiest state in the country. So, I mean, that's kind of ground zero. And then I'm looking at, uh, Cuyahoga, which is a traditionally blue collar democratic area. It's Cleveland. And what we've seen in both those areas is lower Democratic um, early vote numbers compared to four years ago, and Republican numbers about the same. You're thinking that this will be an, a late night. Um, Politico today says that this could be a boring election night, that Hillary has all but won Nevada, um, and that if she takes Nevada, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Virginia, they feel like those are states where she has a lead or is building one through early voting, quoting them, that that Trump could still win, even if he still won Florida, Ohio, Wisconsin, Iowa, Colorado, and New Hampshire, he could still lose. Piling on to that point, which is, uh, you know, New York Times today quoted uh, Robbie Mook, the, you know, Clinton campaign head, uh, that Clinton has Florida, North Carolina, and Nevada in the bag, you know, you wonder to what extent he's just uh, putting that out there and wanting to create momentum. Any sense, I mean, your sense that this could be a late night, do you feel that and, and comparing that against, uh, you know, this piece in Politico, uh, that, that wondering whether it might be a boring night, in fact? Uh, I don't think there, I haven't been through a boring night in politics so in, camp, in election day, so I don't think this would be boring. And if we're waiting for Nevada... Nevada's on the uh, West Coast, you know, uh, Pacific time zone, it's, it's potentially going to be a late night. So I, um, and I mean, I think you've got enough tight races in, uh, in states like Florida, like North Carolina. I, you know, they're, they're, I think the networks are going to be very careful in calling these races based on, on previous incidents. I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be anything but boring, truthfully. 
And Neil, just stepping back for a moment from this particular election or, or you know, predicting the, the vote on, on this Tuesday, but thinking about the Republican Party, I mean, you, you have been a Republican pollster um, for a number of years. You have seen the party's evolution. Thank you for, thank you for not saying how many years. No, 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 no. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't help me any more than it helps you, for sure. Uh, what's your thought? of Where is the Republican Party today? I mean, there are so many factions. I mean, this is obviously an, you know, an underlying theme of, you know, of this campaign. What has happened to the party? Where does it go from here? Uh, you know, Paul Ryan versus Donald Trump, the, you know, the protectionism versus free trade, uh, you know, areas... You know, questions uh, along the lines of race, obviously. Um, it, we're, 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 where is the Republican Party today? Well, I don't, I don't think that's a relevant question, truthfully. I think the, the more relevant question is, where is the Republican Party going to be on November 9th and moving forward? Um, today, we're just simply trying to win an election. And then I think where the party is on November 9th, that's the real question. And I don't have the answer. I think we, we're looking at potentially a fractured party right now. I think you're going to have, if Donald Trump doesn't win this election, he will still be a leader in the party. He or Mike Pence, if Pence decides to kind of step up and take over that mantle. But it'll be, um, it'll be a large chunk of voters who are uh, absolutely you know, loyal to, uh, to Donald Trump and what he stands for. He's kind of an outsider, out, you know, uh, running against mainstream, running for change. Then you'll have a, a, another potential chunk of the party that, that uh, that likes Paul Ryan and wants to see him as as the leader, and then probably another one that's looking at Ted Cruz. This is we're going to have to pick up the pieces after this election. It's um, it's going to be interesting to see if we can put Humpty Dumpty back together again based on uh, on what's going on in the primaries and the general election here. Uh, we have a long ways to go. That will not happen overnight. That will not happen by by the you know by next June or July or whenever. We, this is a uh, there's been a fracture in the party. And I, but I would venture to say, truthfully, you've seen it in both parties. You've seen the Democratic Party as well with the, uh, the Bernie Sanders and, uh, you know, uh, and Hillary Clinton split. It's, it's, it's driven a wedge inside in both parties, and it's born out of frustration that the country's off on the wrong track and that they're, the nation's politicians aren't doing a damn thing to fix it. We're looking at – I'm sure, Chris, you've seen these right direction, wrong track numbers. Yep. You know, when the simple question is, do you think the country's generally headed in the right direction or pretty seriously off on the wrong track? Right now, it's by two-to-one margin, it's wrong track. But the most amazing and interesting uh, part of that is it has been more than 12 and a half years, running, getting close actually to 13 years straight, where every single month Americans believe, a plurality of Americans believe, the country's off on the wrong track. It is the longest period of sustained pessimism in this country in a generation. And so... It's it's just it's born out of that frustration. So you see it, you saw it in both the Republican primaries and the Democratic primaries, and it's going to be a while before if Trump, Donald Trump isn't able to get across the finish line as, as a victor, it's going to be a while before we're able to pull our party back together again and and kind of sort through what the election means and how we go forward from here. 
and on that point, so what's your view then as to what happens next and, and going now beyond the Republican Party um, in terms of governing? I mean, you, you know, the, the New York Times headline today, voters expressed disgust over U.S. politics uh, in, in their poll. You know that. Um, we've seen the headlines that, you know, if Hillary wins uh, and if uh, uh, the Republicans win, you know, Congress uh, and certainly, you know, House looks uh, pretty likely um, that, you know, we, we won't have Supreme Court justices, uh, you know, confirmed. We won't have cabinet members uh, and, and sub-cabinet members nominated that, you know, almost a almost a shutdown of government. Do you, are you is that over? stated are you are you worried about that when you look at uh the data and and the polling you know numbers that you have access to um how concerned are you about uh the, the governing aspect even going beyond just uh the fractures within either single party um anybody in dc is, is probably worried sick about that this is it does not bode well for moving ahead as a united country especially when you've got 30 to 40 percent of Americans believe the, the election's rigged. So this is, it does not, not vote well. This is, Washington will remain in chaos, will remain um, polarized by partisanship. It does not paint an optimistic picture of what's you know, coming down the road. Hillary Clinton will, will, may very well limp across the finish line, but she will be the most unpopular person who's ever been elected president, as would Donald Trump, of course. And there's virtually no political honeymoon for either candidate if they're elected. Now, this does not bode well for um, for down the road. It's going to be a, a real challenge for the president and for both the House and Senate to try to get things done and try to work together. Um, it's, it may get worse before it gets better. And, and what are you seeing in the House and the Senate? Are, are you seeing, uh, you know, people are thinking uh, House, you know, remains Republican, um, Senate very close. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, and but again, this is a major change from where we were 10, 10 to 12 days ago. 10 to 12 days ago, I think most observers were looking at the Senate as <clears throat> likely to switch Democrat. But the Comey letter, again, has helped narrow the presidential ballot that has given a lifeline to some of these Republican candidates in competitive House and Senate races. And I think you're looking at right now at uh, I'd, probably 60, 40 odds, if not better, that Republicans will hold the Senate. And I think Republican losses in the House may be maybe 15 seats or so. But, yeah, they will remain in control of the House. They, uh, the, the Senate will be close. And that's in another, you know, we'll be, we may be up late on, on election night waiting for Nevada to come in in terms of the, uh, the Senate race there. So this is good. It's, there's a lot of stuff going on in election. I mean, there's a lot of very tight races. Um, but I think Republicans are, are in a good position right now to, uh, to hold the Senate. It may not hold, but they're, they're fighting tooth and nail on the ground. Those races have not yet been decided. And and just to close out, Neil, you know, again, looking forward in your data and and as you look at themes and, and we talk about the fractured country and we talk about the challenge of, of you know, governing and, and, and what lies ahead and you've painted kind of a pretty stark picture. Um, is there anything in your data that shows 
a path forward out of that? Is there anything, are, are there issues or is there a theme? I mean, what would you be advising? So if you're, you know, if it is the day after and, and you're starting to advise what to build and how to, you know, because, you know, it is going to have to come together one, one way or the other, you know, at, at some point. Um, is there anything that you would kind of hold on to out of uh, the numbers and, and views and sentiment that you see? Or uh, do we, you know, do we just have to kind of go through the, the dark days and, and let winter come and, uh, uh, you know, kind of hope for the best, which hardly feels like a strategy to me? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, it, you're, you don't want to say, I mean, on November 9th, our you know, cold winter, you know, begins of a, uh, you know, discontent. This is, uh, it's going to be a challenge. I, there's nothing, Chris, there's nothing in the data that really indicates where you'd move forward. But what I would, what draws my attention is the, the plight of the middle class. And by that, and I think it's at the root of both Bernie Sanders' campaign in the primaries, the anti Wall Street, the, you know, his kind of populist campaign and, Donald Trump's to some extent in terms of uh, of the anti-trade or you know the sending jobs overseas is a sense in the middle class that they have been treading water for the past eight years economically and they're not getting ahead and they blame trade they blame a lot you know a lot of different things um, the the housing crash impacted their the net worth of these families so that they're now worth probably 60% less than they were in, in 2006 and seven. There's a sense, there's a, a level of frustration among these voters that is, um, that an anger that's aimed at Washington. So uh, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton has got to do something to try to, to help these voters. It, well, you know, it's really interesting. In last two years ago, if we were doing focus groups in, in Ohio, what we would have heard from voters was, um, Jobs, loss of jobs, the economy, et cetera. I mean, it, it, we'd be talking about uh, the need to bring jobs to the country, bring jobs to the state. Now, when you talk to voters, Walmart moms, um, voters in Ohio, other places, they're talking about wages. They're not talking about jobs. They have jobs, but they're not getting paid good wages. They are, um, they, they feel like they're, um, again, they're not moving ahead. And when we ask voters who participate in these focus groups, um, how are you going to use the money that we we're giving you to participate in the focus groups? Because all these focus group participants get like a hundred bucks or so for coming and spending two hours with us and talking about stuff. And what's really interesting is, is when you listen to what they say, I mean, the classic is one woman who said she's trying to figure out, you know, whether she should fill the car up with gas or buy new soccer cleats for the kids. It is that kind of sense. They're living on the financial edge and they're tired of doing so. They want to be able to move ahead, and they want to have confidence in somebody who, who will help give them that hope. And that's why Donald Trump, I think, is doing as well as he is right now, because he is a, he's optimistic, make America great again. He's giving them hope that things can be different. So that's, you know, that's the kind of, those are the issues I'd probably focus on, middle-class issues. Okay, and uh, I, I don't know. Are you? I, do, do you get into the uh, prediction business? Do you do you put yourself uh, on on the line like that? Do you uh, do you know a sense of who's going to be walking down Pennsylvania Avenue on uh, January twentieth? Well, I do. I think. I mean, I think Hillary Clinton's likely to. to okay, first of all, today is November fourth. This is this is a prediction that's good for today, given <laughs> given the surprises in this campaign. I you know 
I can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow, for God's sake. This is nuts. Um, does, you know, is there another WikiLeaks coming? Is there, you know, is Comey going to put out something else? It's, this has been the most unpredictable, um, chaotic political campaign in my lifetime. Come on, Neil. Um, what, what could possibly happen between now and Tuesday? <laughs> exactly. I know. Um, no, I'd, I'd probably say that Hillary Clinton will limp across the finish line. She'll, she will, she's not going to be in that 350 you know, 320 uh, range in terms of electoral votes can be closer to, you know, to 290 to 300. It's going to be a much tighter race than it was, than it looked like it was going to be a couple of weeks ago. I think Republicans will, will um, by the skin of their teeth, hold on to the Senate and probably lose 10 to 15 seats in the House. I mean, this is uh, it's a remarkable election. I, I'm the, the question is, okay, so what does this mean for the future? And uh, truthfully, I hope not a damn thing. I hope I hope we can go back to like you know politics as usual, but um, we may never go back from this election. This, what I tell people is, because this it's been such an extraordinary election. Your kids will be telling their kids about this election, about what happened in 2016, and they'll be telling those stories even 40 years from now. I'm glad that we are having a chance to talk about it now, and and I'm also glad for the guidance. Uh, I plan now to get a very good night's sleep on. Monday, because it sounds like Tuesday night, uh, you know, Newhouse, Reback, and, and many others, we're, we're not going to be sleeping much if uh, uh, well, if you hold true. A good night's sleep on Monday night, but then take a, best thing to do, take a nap on, on Tuesday and no drinking until at least 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. I'll, t- I'll take your advice. I appreciate it. Neil, uh, thanks for uh, taking the time. Four days to go. One, one way or the other, we're getting to November 8th, so... Uh, uh, thank you. Really appreciate uh, really appreciate your time. My pleasure. And if people want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter ha- handle is uh, KC Kid. Yes, I saw that. KC as in as in Kansas City. I'm as in I was going to ask you, but I was wondering about that. I saw at KC Kid. Uh, is that Kansas yeah. City or is that something else? It is. I no, I, I grew up in Kansas City, so I still um, I still consider myself uh, a Kansan at, at, at root. I, I I feel you on that. I am uh, born and raised Chicago, and uh, I you know I fe- absolutely feel myself. Well, congratulations from the Cubbies. Uh, thank you. It has been a long time coming, and I, I still I still feel the pain of '84 uh, and '03, but uh, um, I feel just just slightly better now. Yeah, it's uh, thank you. Yeah, and uh, uh, you as well, Kansas City. Uh, it's been a good two years for uh, Midwestern towns. Yeah, but I. It has been. That's been fun to watch. That was my conversation with Neil Newhouse. Nice to get in the Cubs reference. It's been a big week in my house. And speaking of not getting much sleep, thank goodness the baseball playoffs are over. I couldn't take much more. And what a conversation with Neil. Fascinating to hear about what he was feeling four years ago right now in the Romney campaign. Also, so interesting and definitely concerning what he has to say about the future, not just for the Republican or Democratic parties, but for our country. He identified a way out. That focus on wages seems right to me. Can we get there? Of course we can, but I see the same anger and divide out there that he does, and I'm sure that you do. That challenge will have to drive our post-election conversations for now. My great thanks to Neil Newhouse for joining and you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Mm-hmm.